Welcome to another episode of SDBC Podcast. Today, it's just me and Mary, no special guests. And that's a good thing, Mary, right? Because mm-hmm. we're in a our quote-unquote studio where there's no air conditioning right now because we have to turn all the fans and everything off for the yeah. audio quality to be good. So look at that. Me and Mary, we're like suffering for you guys <laughs> to make sure you guys have good audio quality. <laughs> Hopefully you enjoy it. <laughs> it's burning up in here. But yeah, today we wanted to talk about something that um, that's called communal reading. Um, it's really not restricted just to the Bible, but um, we're going to obviously talk about it in the context of the Bible and the church and the Christian life. Um, we want to talk about this thing called communal reading and what it is, why it's important, how we might apply that into our you know, spiritual journey today. So a uh, f- few people have been kind of wondering what I've been doing over the uh, study leave and <laughs> doing lots of papers and assignments. And one of the research items that I've actually studied was um, this topic of, uh, I wanted to look into like biblical literacy. A lot of people were kind of suggesting that the biblical literacy is dangerously low in North America, at least, and it's not a health thing for the church. And yes, I found that sadly the findings are there, the the evidence is there that biblical literacy has been plummeting, at least statistically, over the last several decades here in North America. A lot of the stats are American, as you might imagine. There's lots of research being done in America. Um, and but, by biblical literacy, yeah. we're, um, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, but just talking about the idea to know and understand the Bible and recall passages and truths yes. from the Bible. Yes. Yeah. Like, uh, And some of these surveys, there's lots of different research, but some of the surveys are as simple as like, you know, when's the last time you've read the Bible kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in North America in general, that's especially among the younger generation, um, it's being lost. And, and to be honest, the older generation isn't faring much better either because this has been going on for decades. Um, it's not a new phenomenon. However, I've actually come across a, a, an article. It's by John Grayston, and he kind of quotes from multiple sources here. But the article is called The Bible and Spirituality, The Decline in Biblical Literacy Among Evangelicals and the Future of the Quiet Time. Um, and this guy kind of summarizes what I've been sensing as well, because you have to remember, I did literature as my university degree and also linguistics. So he talks about how literacy in general has been declining in North America. So yes, biblical literacy is declining too, but this may not only be an isolated situation here because literacy in general is declining. And here's here, I'll read a paragraph from his article. He says, there's some question as to how far reading patterns have changed in society. A recent piece of research undertaken for the Publishers Association suggests that people are reading as much as ever, but also notes that reading declined during secondary school and is only resumed in middle or in later life, especially in males. For many people, reading is limited to technical material associated with their job. A quick glance at their newspaper and a blockbuster when they go on a holiday. Um, If reading in general is in decline, it is hardly surprising that personal Bible reading is also in decline. Hmm. Pressures of modern lifestyle also mean that the patterns which evolved in the 19th century and served as well until the middle of the last century no longer work. The normal pattern of personal devotion in the middle of the last century was to rise early and spend time in Bible reading and prayer, and this formed part of the instruction given to the new Christians. It becomes difficult increasingly to maintain in the face of long working hours, long-distance commuting, and family pressures. Hmm. So, you know... a lot of the 
you know, old timer Christians might say, yeah, yeah, you know what, you guys just need to read the Bible more, right? And and I agree, I'm a pastor, like I would love for everyone to read the Bible more, right? But then the situations have changed. Um, hours of work has become significantly longer in society in general, right? And um, there's a lot of required reading for your work and other stuff um, that kind of eats into the time of reading the Bible. So it has become uh, a challenge, both biblically, but also in general. Literacy has become a challenge for many people. I, my wife is a teacher. I used to be a teacher. I know that literacy is a concern. Um, Mary, you, you oversee a, a very unique and special ministry um, where we help um, people with dyslexia mm-hmm. um, uh, learn how to read and write um, and, and overcome some of the challenges that they have uh, in gaining literacy. So clearly our church and our community cares a lot about literacy and we want to support people. We want to help people get there. But um, literacy in general is is suffering right now. And I think um, that's one of the reasons why biblical literacy is seeing a decline in, in the modern um, mm-hmm. Christian era. And I know we were talking recently enough at staff meetings about how, um, you know, dyslexia is a factor and just our the nature of us not really reading communally mm-hmm. together, but also that there's kind of this anxiety over having to read out loud. And yeah. I know yeah. for myself, especially through my teens, I experienced this anxiety a lot just because yeah. it wasn't something I grew up a lot doing. And then especially, you know, like coming to a church, coming to a new church, reading out loud, small print, yes. it was something that gave me quite a lot of anxiety. And it was only through forcing myself to practice reading out loud that I could even get over it yes. in the slightest. So I yeah. know that that's something that a lot of people my age and like you were saying, probably yeah. across the board experience when you do get those opportunities to read communally. Yeah. I mean, um, a lot of situations where, uh, do you remember what, when we were growing up? Oh, I just forgot. You were homeschooled, so maybe a little <laughs> bit different. But um, when, when we're growing up, I remember like uh, the teacher would ask, hey, we're going to read a paragraph each and we'll go through a few pages, right? That was normal. I know now that some teachers feel like, oh, you know, with all the anxiety mm-hmm. going on, maybe that's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And Every time I ask a group to read aloud, there's always an opportunity without any shame for you to pass, right? You can say pass or you can say, hey, next person. Um, that's totally fine. But I think just eliminating any opportunity to do any kind of communal or public reading may not be the best solution to enhance literacy in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, mimicking, for example, is an important way for us to learn. That's how we teach our own children how to read and write, right? We say the word and then you say the word. Um, so it's kind of uh, that kind of um, demonstration and, and doing it uh, for the other person to see is actually quite important in communal reading. And it's an important part of our communal learning experience. Mm-hmm. And as a teacher, I'll, I'll share this story. Um, when I was a teacher earlier on in my first couple of years, um, I wanted to teach Shakespeare. And, uh, you know, I majored in English Lit. I love Shakespeare, the iambic pentameter, and all of that excites me. So I love the rhythm and meter and the language and the mastery he had over it. So I loved reading it, and I wanted to teach it. The problem was most high school students do not like Shakespeare, hmm. and they really, really don't like it. So I've asked them to read, you know, hey, for homework, you're supposed to read Act 1. And, you know, Shakespearean plays aren't even that long. But, no, a lot of kids would come not having read it. Or if they have read it, they, they didn't understand anything about it. So I'd be like, okay, well, tomorrow we're going to uh, read Act 2. So for homework, uh, make sure you've read Act 2. And I'll just power through, right? And I kept getting frustrated that kids aren't coming. Um, and, you know, I would do pop quizzes to make sure they're, they, they've read the actual play that they, or the part of the play that they were supposed to. And they would just fail the pop quiz. And I'm like, how can I encourage them and motivate them to actually read the thing? 
Um, and a colleague of mine who's been teaching for many years says, you know, what I do is I actually read the whole um, play together in class. Hmm. I'm like, really? That would take so much time. Like you're supposed to like do the analysis of the play in class. You know, it'll be so much more efficient time-wise if you just read the thing at home and then we can all come and discuss it in class, right? Um, and she said, my colleague said, you know what? I do that for everything that I teach, not just for short plays like this, but even novels. 200 pages, we all read it together in class. I'm like, what? So you're telling me, I'm, I'm thinking like this is a lazy teacher. <laughs> for a whole hour of instruction time, all she does is just read. Like she doesn't teach anything. And you know what? I was so frustrated because kids weren't getting Shakespeare that I thought, you know what? I might as well give it a shot. So I did. We started enacting Shakespeare together because at the end of the day, that's a play. It was meant to be read aloud. It was meant to be read in community. There's supposed to be a, a, a Romeo and there's supposed to be a Juliet. There's supposed to be characters that play off of each other in dialogue. So what happened was I actually started to read it together with the kids. And then when the kids read without emotion, I would encourage them gently, right? Hey, hey, let's try that sentence again. You don't say, do you bite my thumb? At, do you bite your thumb at me, sir? No, no. Do you bite your thumb at me, sir? This is a fight. This is an argument. Let's, let's yell it out. And kids started having fun and they started understanding it. And before this, I actually gave them a commentary. There's something called, uh, I think it's either Spark Notes that offers this, mm -hmm. No Fear Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, even though I was homeschooled, I did read that. Yes, No, no Fear Shakespeare. <laughs> I, I mean, I thought that would be the answer. But no, when kids read together communally, and then there was a person like myself who, who understood Shakespeare a little bit more than the students did, and there was a guide to read together as a group, it was so effective. And I'll probably never go back to individualistic readings of Shakespeare in a high school context anymore because mm. it's it's proven to me. I've had the experience of how helpful communal reading can be, mm. especially when the text is very complex and intimidating. And now to tie it back, the Bible is extremely mm -hmm. complex and intimidating for a person who's never read it before. Mm. The other week we had a few people who wanted to pick up a Bible because they've never read it. And as I was giving them the Bible, I said, hey, um, I'm going to let you know this book was written in three languages, right? Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And um, it was written over thousands of years uh, and many cultural contexts. It is a complex book. Um, if you struggle to read this on your own, I would love for you to join a community group or, or any kind of a reading group where you can read with other people and do this thing called communal reading because it is absolutely helpful, if not necessary for a young Christian to mm -hmm. read in this context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really gets at, you know, why should we care about communal reading and why is it important? And we have this really great quote that I'll read now. It's from um, Ben Wright and it mm -hmm. says, reading together counters our individualistic tendencies and fosters humility and gratitude. By reading and discussing scripture and community, we acknowledge our inability to fully grasp God's truth on our own and we learn to appreciate the insights of others. Gifts are shared, weaknesses offset, and personal interpretations exposed to inquiry. When we receive God's revelation together and interact with one another, our personal biases are exposed and other opinions are conveyed and considered. This teaches us to listen attentively, think carefully, question kindly, and respond humbly. Our souls are formed when we read together. Mm -hmm. I just love that quote, especially that last part, because I think... Um, even upon probably hearing the title of this podcast, I don't think, well, I personally didn't have 
you know, a full definition of what communal reading is or what it can do for us aside from just reading it loud. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's so much more than just reading aloud. And I love how this particular quote puts that. Yeah. And, and the earlier part of that too, right? Like reading together counters our individualistic tendencies and fosters mm-hmm. humility and gratitude. Like I think because we live in North America where it is an individualistic community and culture, that's kind of our bend. Um, and because technology has changed so much to allow us to be individualistic, because mm-hmm. you have to remember back then, um, you know, literacy levels were lower and manuscripts were more expensive. Bible wasn't readily accessible to people. You know, if you go down hundreds of years ago, then what happened was that you had to read communally. There, there may have only been one full copy of the Bible in a, in a village. And so you couldn't just, you know, take it home and read it. And before technology, like you didn't have like lights. So after you come back from work, if the sun goes down, you know, it's really difficult for Mm -hmm. you to read. And so because of multiple factors, individual reading was not as common back in those days. It was mostly communal. And you look at today, um, yes, the literacy, we just talked about how literacy level is declining and all that stuff, but then it is much higher than we've been in in hundreds of years ago. And also Bibles are available in audio format. You can listen to it in your car. Um, It's also available on your app. It's available in paper format, Kindle, whatever you want, whatever format, Mm -hmm. biblegateway.com. So a lot of people can access the Bible alone. And coupled with the idea of anxiety of reading out loud or reading with other people for fear of you know, being exposed. Oh, I've been going to church for 20 years. I don't want my, want my church people to know that I actually don't know much about the Bible or I haven't really read it yet. Um, all of those anxieties kind of um, make us want to just read it alone. But the thing is, reading it alone is important. So as you listen to this podcast, please don't hear us saying reading alone is worthless. Don't do it anymore. No, no, no. Reading alone is important and it's helpful and it's awesome. But if you can also add communal reading to that, it would mm-hmm. be even better is mm-hmm. what we're trying to suggest. Because like Ben Wright says, Reading together counters our individualistic tendencies. We bring one perspective, but communal reading forces us to accept that there's a diversity of perspectives and diversity of of expertise. Someone uh, might be a biblical scholar and reading with him or her might present some really cool perspectives that you weren't aware of. Someone might just have been in the Christian context for a long time and have experienced uh, the spiritual journey longer than you have, and, and they may bring a fresh perspective. And for those of you who have been reading the Bible for many, many years, someone who just came to the Lord may have a very fresh perspective on some of these biblical uh, passages than, than you might. So when you read as a group, I think the diversity of perspectives and expertise is really cool and helpful for us as we um, continue to journey on learning more about God's will. Mm-hmm. I know we want to uh, jump in and look at the history of communal reading, but one more thing that I found as we were reading and preparing for this is the actual physiological nature of mm. reading out loud. Mm-hmm. That really stuck out to me because I love all those sorts of facts about how we were actually created. But um, one of these articles said that uh, reading out loud actually causes us to slow down and process yes. things in a different way because of the fact that our eyes can scan so much faster than our mouths can actually make the words. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought about that, how not only you know, does it feel different, but it, it actually causes us to even learn and process in a yes, different way. absolutely. And there's a lot of scientific research done mm-hmm. on that, right? The power of reading out loud and how it helps us uh, in communication in general too. Um, yeah, so th- there's also another advantage that I want to address here too, that 
you know, if some of you are fearing that, oh man, if we're all going to sit in circle and read the passage and share how we feel about what this text means, oh, that's not proper exegesis or proper biblical interpretation. We get that, right? Uh, Mary and I both, you know, have attended um, seminary courses on biblical interpretation and Mm -hmm. all that. (laughs) However, communal reading actually helps with that concern too. If you're worried about, man, is our church going to be filled with everyone just kind of interpreting their own way? And if you're in a group where you don't have a biblical scholar, then you know, is it going to be free for all? Well, well, not really, because as you read alone, you may not ever share your interpretation process with anyone else. And if it is horribly incorrect and you're taking things out of context and, you know, you end up with a very skewed theology, no one may even know that about you to correct you or to offer a different perspective. However, when you read in community with humility and love and grace as the backdrop of this community, hopefully, um, then if you if we can build a safe place where we can read together and express our interpretation of the Bible together, what happens is we can ask each other questions about, oh, hey, I, I understand that this is how you're reading it, but could it be that that may be taking it out of context because X, Y, and Z? Um, so communal reading actually is an act of humility and an act of um, partnership with other mm-hmm. believers, and we get to actually do it in a way that um, builds up the church where there is actually a healthy accountability because we're expressing our interpretation and exposing it to the community and then they're they're able to give feedback on it. And one of the cool things about this is you can do that with a seasoned veteran kind of Christian and maybe even a Bible scholar, but you can also do that with a brand new Christian mm-hmm. and uh, even a non-Christian. Like I've read the Bible with non-Christians and that's an awesome thing. And um, that could be a great way for them to hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've even just been doing it recently with our staff. Yeah. And it's been an awesome experience. Um, yeah, just hearing everyone's perspective, because though we are all Christians, we have, you know, worked in a church for different amounts of time, been alive and on this earth for different <laughs> amounts of time. And it's been two or three weeks now, but already yeah. really a really special experience to do together. Yeah. And, and I think the dynamics changed. So far, we've been doing it in a little bit larger group, like the whole staff. Mm-hmm. But then uh, from next week, we said we were going to go and break up into groups and grab coffee or whatever drink you want to prefer, mm-hmm. and, and then go into smaller groups like threes and fours, and then do it that way. And that setting will have a different vibe altogether. Um, but communal reading, I think, is, is so good, especially any reading of scripture is going to be amazing, mm-hmm. first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think communal reading will bring a different perspective if you haven't done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and we don't mean just studying the Bible, right? Like, like a Bible study curriculum. We literally mean reading. Um, and that's what we've done as a staff together. Totally. And I love that you personally are already practicing this. And I didn't tell you I was going to share this, but the other day I heard your voice from down the hall and I went uh, to grab <laughs> something from the fridge and I thought, Paul doesn't have a meeting scheduled. What's he doing? And I like peeked in and you're just reading your Bible aloud. And I thought, how cool is this? Um, but also how funny is it that the first thing I think is, what's he doing in there? He couldn't possibly be just reading yeah. out loud to himself, but that, that's was. amazing. Yeah. Because you know, that, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're yeah. supposed to be doing. That's what we have the privilege privilege of being able to do, but that just goes to show, even for someone like me, who's been in the church my whole life, I still think twice about hearing a pastor reading (laughs) the word out loud. Yeah. I mean, like, I think people sometimes forget, like, as a part of my job, obviously public speaking is one of it, but I don't know, uh, maybe some people feel comfortable and never nervous. I mean, I get nervous all the time when I preach, especially when Mm -hmm. I preach, um, because I get the 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 magnitude of what I'm doing here. I'm sharing the word of God. I don't want to get things wrong. Like there's a lot of pressure there in that sense. Also, it's a joy and privilege. I'm not saying it's not, um, but I, I need to practice. So one thing I do is I read aloud um, and that helps me practice reading. Like I think people forget that 
reading is a skill and mm-hmm. you can grow in it. And if you don't, if you neglect it, if you never practice, you'll probably never be good at it. But if you put in the hours of practice, then it's actually helpful. So I like doing that in my own personal uh, personal Bible reading time. But also um, that day particular, I think I remember which day you're talking about, um, I was tired and, you know, I didn't have that much sleep the night before. And I realized, you know what, I want to do some Bible reading. I want to start my day off with scripture, but I recognize that, you know, I might doze off. <laughs> yes, I'm a pastor, but I might still doze off. I'm, I'm in Isaiah and there's a lot of repetitive <laughs> stuff there. So it's like, okay, I'm going to read aloud because that also helps me focus. Mm-hmm. And that's one like practical way of um, um, learning my own tendencies and overcoming some of that. So that's just my way of doing it. It's, I'm not saying that's the only way to do it, but um, that personally helps me. And I think also um, I just like, take, like you said, taking the time to read aloud actually helps me understand the nuance and actually really take it in sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that helps me slow down and, and I like that. But, totally. but let's get to what you were referring to earlier, like kind of the history of mm-hmm. communal reading. Because what Mary and I are saying, guys, is it's not something that we came up with, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not not even close to that. It's um, It's been done for many, many centuries, and, and we'll just get back to it. Um, but Exodus chapter 17, we'll start there. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of examples of actual public reading of scripture or communal reading of scripture. So Exodus 17 is kind of, I think, the first example of this. And God is the one who actually initiates this idea. It wasn't Moses's idea or anything, but this is what it says. This is after Israel had defeated Amalek. If you read Exodus 17, you'll see that um, God helps Israel defeat this enemy force called the Amalekites. And what happens is, you know, Moses, you know, raises his hands. You remember Aaron and Hur holds them up and, and they defeat them. And wow, God is good. And in that moment of celebrating and recognizing that this was God, God helped them win. Um, this is what it says in chapter 17, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the years of Joshua. Like, okay, Joshua was the military general that kind of fought the battle while Moses, Aaron, and Hur were upstairs kind of doing the prayer and the um, and the and holding up the staff. Well, wait a minute, then why does Joshua need to hear this? And why does Moses need to write this down in a book? Like God is trying to tell us, you got to remember what God has done. This is healthy. This is great. Because later, remember what I did and understand my faithfulness and act and walk in faith, right? So the act of writing it down and reciting it to another person was written here in Exodus 17. But if you continue in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 9 through 13, uh, you also get another example. It says that Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God <clears throat> at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Love that. You shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones. Don't forget the kids, right? The little ones. And the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. So God kind of in this kind of conquest scene, this important historical moment of Israel, God says, hey, don't forget this. Write it down. Read it aloud to everyone. Make sure everyone engages in this public and communal reading practice of the Word of God. 
and um, it's quite beautiful. Um, another story I think that we want to kind of talk about is Second Kings. And this is one of the most fascinating stories um, um, that I've read. Second Kings chapter 22 uh, and chapter 23 talk about a king in Israel uh, named Josiah. Um, one of our colleagues, um, their grandchild is named Josiah. Josiah is a, a really cool king in the history of Israel. And in 2 Kings chapter 22, we find that Josiah kind of orders like a repair of the palace and um, uh, kind of the, I guess, renovation. So it says, hey, house of the Lord needs uh, some renovation. So boom, go for it. Here's the money, go for it. And then the high priest is kind of charged along with the secretary to, to oversee this project. But then the high priest finds a book. And in verse 11 of chapter 22, this is what it says. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Apparently this book of, you know, the, the Pentateuch had been lost in Israel's history for some reason. And the kings didn't actually have access to the written down word of God that we just read about in Deuteronomy and, and Exodus. But then Josiah finds it in the middle of this kind of renovation project that he had, repair project that he had. And then when he hears the words, he goes, oh, no, we haven't been keeping God's law. So he tears his clothes, he grieves, and then he starts this whole reform process of burning all the idols and stopping idol worship in, in the country and, and making reform to repent before God. And, and he's remembered as an amazing king because of that, because of his reforms. And in chapter 23, this is amazing. Chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, this is what it says. Then the king, Josiah, sent... And all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. Right? Hmm. This, this is cool. He, he, this is how he responds. He's found the Bible. He's found the scripture that was, you know, compiled so, uh, thus far. And he says, gather everyone. We're reading this. Mm -hmm. Both of these passages have such um, significant uh, messages of, you were talking about this on Sunday, and I think so was Jason last time he preached, but of that equality mm -hmm. of how this was everyone, both small and great, men, yeah. women, and children. And it also makes me think too, how um, communal reading in itself is a radical yeah. act of hospitality because it's bringing people together and unifying people um, because of the same goal and the same excitement over the yeah. word of the Lord. And it's just so cool how even at our church, we're talking about radical hospitality yeah. and how, you know, oftentimes that's really centered around a meal or coming into our homes, but even thinking of radical hospitality as sharing the word together communally and reading it together and how that shapes us in community. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, and kind of before we started recording this, Mary, you pointed out that um, Israel had forgotten Mm -hmm. There's a stage where they had forgotten God's ways. And it's, it's incredible to think that. But I mean, in modern times, I feel like in some ways, um, the church sometimes forgets. And, and here later in this, in this um, 2 Kings 22, 23 and stuff, we find that Josiah and the people of Israel actually forgot the, the Passover, mm -hmm. which we're, our church is going through the Exodus series right now in our Sundays. And like, man, how do you forget the Passover? <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty big, big deal. deal. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yet they did. So as a part of Josiah's reform, he actually introduces the Passover again. And it hasn't been done for a long, long time. And mm -hmm. he actually says, no, we got to do this. This is important. This was commanded by God. We are doing this. And I think this is the power of the word of God. It actually convicts us. It actually 
challenges us. It mm-hmm. actually inspires us. It unites to, us. Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually beautiful, and like you said, it's a radical act of hospitality, and and it, it encourages meaningful connections. So I think it's perfect for our church too, mm-hmm. especially what we're doing. And the history of um, communal reading actually continues. If you go to the New Testament, it's not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you see, in, for example, Luke chapter 4, Jesus uh, was reading out of the Isaiah scroll in a synagogue. It was very common to read, publicly read the scriptures. Um, again, kind of going back to the scriptures weren't readily accessible to everyone, so you you had to read it in community. Um, that was the way to do it. And um, also, if you go to Paul's letters, First uh, Thessalonians 5, 27, or um, Colossians 4, 15 and 16, kind of talks about how Paul is expecting the church to read his letter aloud in public. He kind of says, you got to gather all the church and read it all for all of them. And, and, and then he actually says in Colossians, don't just read it, Colossian church, you read it. But then when you're done, send it to the brothers in Laodicea, and they're going to have to read it too. So these were uh, what we call circulating letters. They were supposed to be circulated to different villages and towns and home churches so that everyone hears the word of God the public reading or communal reading of the scripture was extremely normal in the New Testament time as well. And one great example of this is Acts 8. And you kind of talked about overhearing me uh, reading the scripture out mm-hmm. loud. Exodus or, or Acts <laughs> chapter 8 has a story about uh, an Ethiopian eunuch. It's a pretty famous story about this guy who's sitting in his chariot and reading uh, the scripture, the Isaiah scroll actually. And um, the Holy Spirit tells Philip, you got to go over there. And Philip overhears him um, um, and he's like, Okay, well, I got I got to go. The Holy Spirit told me. So let me read this section. Acts 8, 27 to 31. And he rose, Philip rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading, he was reading the prophet of Isaiah. Again, he was reading aloud. So clearly, um, Philip was able to know that this is what he's reading. Hmm. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Ah, join the chariot. Be a part of that communal experience. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and Mm -hmm. sit with him. Radical hospitality, Mm -hmm. meaningful connection, right? This guy will probably never forget Philip a man who was sent by the Holy Spirit to help him really understand what the Isaiah scroll was talking about and then eventually leading to being baptized because he recognized that Jesus is the Messiah that Isaiah was pointing to. Mm-hmm. And and so this amazing scene of communal reading happens right here in the book of Acts. And um, what a beautiful thing when he says, how can I understand what I'm reading unless someone guides me? Mm-hmm. Similar to what I said to those people who are relatively new Christians and saying, or not even Christians maybe, and they're saying, I, I want to pick up a Bible. So yeah, they could legitimately say, how can I understand any of this unless someone guides me? And if you are a Christ follower, and if you have read the Bible before, and if God has given you that privilege, perhaps one of our roles is to be a guide for someone who is struggling to understand the content of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe the next place to go is um, for us with communal mm-hmm. reading today in our culture, in our church, in our communities. Um, so, I mean, we can just start pointing this out, but where do we maybe see communal reading happening or fitting in mm-hmm. in our current culture right now? So what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we do this on Sunday mornings, Definitely, right? As yeah. a part of, um, obviously, uh, Jason and his team as they lead in worship, we often do communal reading. Actually, we had a worship night um, 
from the time of recording, this was the day after the worship night happened. So last night we had a worship night at the courtyard mm -hmm. under the canopy of heavens, as Jason said. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. It was yeah. fun. And the mosquitoes were kept at bay until the end. So that was good. <laughs> Um, but we had communal reading. Jason invited, he printed out some Psalms and scripture, um, and he asked the people like, hey, there's no mics or anything, but just read aloud for us. And so I remember, I think Jeanette read one passage, Phil and someone else as well. And, and that was an experience of communal reading, right? Sometimes communal reading is just reading aloud and listening and no explanations. Um, that could be it. And so Sunday mornings, community groups, we do this at staff meetings, like Mary said, mm -hmm. and also in private gatherings. Believe it or not, I've, I've heard about, I've heard a young man who actually came to Christ because his cousin invited him to read scripture with her. Hmm. And during COVID, it was kind of not easy to find communities, but these cousins met up, they read scripture, the guy really understood what Jesus was all about and eventually got baptized. So it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In staff meeting, when we were reading, um, and we had just a few simple questions that we were going through as a staff mm -hmm, after, mm -hmm. um, one of the the things that we talked about that came up was the fact that a lot of the Bible was actually written to be read aloud specifically. Yes. Yes. And so by not doing that, it's it's almost not, I don't know the right word to use, but not it's just not doing what it was yeah. originally intended yeah. to yeah. Do. Yeah, the original design. Exactly, that God had. the original yeah. design. Yeah. It's kind of like the Shakespeare example, right? The plays that yeah, we read in a book exactly. was never meant to stay in a book. It was supposed to be spoken, not even spoken, but acted out. Mm -hmm. right? By different parts and different exactly. players. Exactly. Exactly. So I think scripture, you know, it's the most beautiful masterpiece of literature there is. Some people don't like to say it literature because it's the Holy Scripture. I totally agree. It's the Holy Scripture, the living and active Word of God. It is absolutely different than Shakespeare. And at the same time, it is also literature. God expressed his word and will and power and authority through uh, literature and through word and through history. So I just love that when we engage with it in the way that God had intended it to, then there's a richness of understanding that we may otherwise miss. So I think Absolutely. That, that's an important factor. Um, I think also, like if, if we're talking about communal reading and if you want to participate in that, I think there's simple ways to do this. Invite one or two other people to your home, to read Bible together. Um, join a community group where they're already doing that. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, don't be afraid to ask someone that's in the church saying, hey, are you a little bit familiar with the Bible? Can you, can you actually meet with me maybe, a coffee shop? Um, and can you read the Bible with me? Because I'm going through Isaiah right now, and oh man, like this is this is tough stuff. Can we read it together? Those are amazing steps to take for us to grow in, in the Word of God. And the communal aspect of it will also help us to make meaningful connections. That That is the awesome part about reading the scripture together. There is a relationship that is also built while we do this. Um, and if you're wondering, how do you do this kind of a thing? Like, so do you just gather at 7 p.m. at someone's house and then you just open the scripture and read? Yeah, that, that could be it. Mm -hmm. Our, uh, my young adults group did this um, way back where uh, we just came in one day and we decided we're going to do communal reading. Okay, it's the book of Matthew. Everyone come ready. Boom, grab your... Back then, coffee wasn't as big, so maybe sodas or whatever it was. <laughs> um, we just read through the book of Matthew. I think at one point, we had like the audio Bible on. Yeah. And the person just read it, and we all just sat down and listened. The entire book of Matthew. Because there is something cool about reading the entire book read um, at one sitting. Because a lot of the churches that we hear about in the New Testament, they would have had that experience. 
not broken into chapters and verses like us, they would have had Paul's letter read aloud. Like we do it, remember when we did uh, like Philippians or Colossians series, Mm. it would take several weeks. But these guys actually would have congregated and literally heard all of that letter all at once, Mm -hmm. right? So to have that experience is pretty cool. So yeah, communal reading could be like that. No interpretation, no, just read together and that's it. Yeah, and I think so there's that communal in a community sense of reading, but then I for myself actually right now have also been learning how I can make my individual reading Mm -hmm. more communal. And so you've already kind of mentioned it um, by reading out loud to yourself Yes. and the audio Bible. So this has actually recently for me been a game changer because just the multiple different ways of reading and absorbing. So now I almost don't read um, without playing the audio Bible yeah. and reading along yeah. because it's just, it's it's incredible how much, how immersive it is yeah. hearing and reading. Yeah. Well, and I can tell that our church family loves it because when I'm preaching, I can hear the audio Bibles go <laughs> while I'm preaching. Yeah. <laughs> and the Lord the wrong button. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I can see the panic in their faces trying to pause the thing. No, no. And by the way, if you've ever made that mistake, don't worry. I don't mind it at all. <laughs> if the audio Bible goes off while I'm preaching, that voice almost always sounds much better than mine anyway. But, but it uh, is an amazing tool that we have. Oh, yeah. To be able Especially to in the car. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I actually love um, not just reading the Bible with my kids and like my family, but just, you know, he- hearing my family read the word of God mm. and, and just doing now that Nathan can read, we get to read a little bit of stories together. So we read Bible stories together too, but I just think it's fun. I just think it's, it's beautiful that God gives us the opportunity to do communal reading. And if you're wondering, okay, I don't want to just do power powering through the, the Bible, right? Uh, several chapters or the whole book. So if you want to add a little bit to it, um, this is what our staff does uh, right now. We have three questions on the board. It's simple questions. And again, we're not doing biblical interpretation or exegesis right now. It's simply a communal reading with some guided questions. So our, our whole team has three questions that we consider. Uh, after we read a couple chapters, we might ask those questions to each other. Question number one, what do we learn about God in this text? Okay, oh man. I really appreciated this about God in this text. Or man, that part was actually scary, what it said about God in this text. And we kind of talked mm. about that. And then question number two, what do you learn about us through this text? Okay. One, what do you learn about God? Two, what do you learn about us? And the question number three is really a question about questions. We ask, what questions do you have after reading this? And the whole point of this last question isn't to answer the questions per mm-hmm. se. You may be able to answer them, but it's like, okay, let's be curious. Let's learn to be curious about stuff in the Word of God and not just like, okay, cool, that was really weird, but let's move on. Mm-hmm. Like, let's stop doing that, right? We read something crazy. We want to really figure out, okay, what does God mean? Why is this even in the Bible? Let's ask those questions. Mm-hmm. And if no one in the room can answer a question or satisfying in a satisfying way, that's okay. Don't be afraid of that. Write that question down. Maybe research it. Ask your leaders or ask an elder, ask a pastor, um, you know, or do some research, find some books. There's so many ways, mm-hmm. but for us to grow in this idea that we can communally ask questions. Totally. And not even, like you said, not even finding the answers, but almost even hearing that other people have the same questions yes. as you is really um, unifying. Because even if you can't find the answers, just knowing like we're on the same track, the yeah. same trajectory, and we all have these questions yeah. that you might not have known if you've just been you know, reading independently Um by yourself for all yeah. these times. And we don't all have to be experts. Like the other day in our staff meeting, uh, I think it was Asanya who asked the question and I said, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not like 
I'm not Larry Perkins. I think only Larry Perkins memorizes the entire Bible in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. We should ask Hebrew. Larry Perkins. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, I'm okay to say that. And I think, like I said, the act of communal reading is also a humbling experience. Mm-hmm. It, it, it allows us to grow in humility. It allows us to grow in patience. Uh, we, we have a couple of people on our staff who uh, English isn't the first language. And yet they're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to participate in this and I'm going to read. And none of us are going like, man, I want you to read faster or, uh, or you didn't pronounce this word well. Like, no, uh, communal reading is about sharing love, grace, uh, patience, and, and appreciating how God has created someone else uniquely. Um, appreciating their perspectives, appreciating the fact that, oh, wow, this person had the exact same question mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. I don't feel so alone anymore. How do we now search for that together? It's it's really a gift. So I think for us to live in fear of, man, I don't want to be exposed. I've been going to church for 30 years. I don't want to be asking any questions because I, I feel like maybe I should know the answer already. Like that actually holds us back. Mm-hmm. That holds us back from actually enjoying what God had intended for us when he gave us his word. We can humbly and, and graciously read together and um, the multiple perspectives and the accountability that we can have will all help us to really experience the richness of God's word in our life and how we apply it. I, maybe we can just end with this final quote here, Mary. Um, again, going to this guy named Ben Wright. Um, he wrote, early Christians read together in order to grow spiritually. They gathered to hear God's word read aloud so that they could discuss and apply it together. See this, like it wasn't meant for you to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. They, they gathered together so they can discuss it and apply it together. Their goal, as was the goal of the biblical authors, was not merely to be informed, but to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Love that. It's, the whole purpose isn't for us to know more and brag about us knowing more content about the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's really for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And a lot of the things we learn about the Bible, we cannot apply it alone anyway. We can't apply the act of loving one another as Christ loved us when we're isolated in individual settings. We have to do it in community. So perhaps reading in community will also help us to apply it in community as well. Mm -hmm. So a church family or anyone else listening to this podcast, if you guys were inspired or, or at least intrigued by some of the things that Mary and I said, I hope this was worthwhile. And please apply this. Invite someone over. Um, do some communal reading. Suggest this for your community group. Um, if you have no Christian friends, come to our church. Let's let's help you find Christian groups where you can do this together. And if you know non-Christians who are curious about the Bible, don't be so scared to invite them to do communal reading of the Bible together. I know this might sound crazy, but our culture actually, Christians and non-Christians, we practice communal reading. We have things called book clubs. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who is not a Christian. She's wonderful, and she does book clubs. So the idea of someone being invited to read the Bible with you is not as offensive as we might think. And if they say no, that's great. We don't have to force them and that's okay. So please um, apply this idea that we can do this together, whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian that God has placed on your heart to read the Bible with. Um, I pray that your experience will be filled with God's blessing as you read communally the amazing word of God.